Here's an item we forgot. You see this? It holds a promise for anyone who smokes. It's Oasis. And as its name implies, it promises you the most refreshing, the softest taste of all. Try Oasis. I think you'll like it. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that word from our 1959 sponsor. We continue our I don't actually into... recommend using whatever our sponsor was sorry to sell, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, coincidentally, neither would Rod Serling. Uh, <laughs> I was telling you off off air about that there's an interview on YouTube. If you can go, like, if you just type in, like, Rod Serling interview with Mike Wallace... It's hilarious because it's a it's the it's his interview which I've gotten some of the information that we talked about in part one, where he talks about how he hates censors and, and stuff like that. And you can tell I'm surprised he's so forthcoming because he's talking about how much he hates hated writing snake oil salesman crap for <laughs> the radio and stuff like that. And it's just like wow, he's really let... but but I think that speaks to the fact that he, at that point one he didn't care. Because sure. he thought that he was kind of a made man. And two, that he was a radical for the time, which comes through in some of yeah, these episodes. Yeah, it does sound like he is kind of a radical. But it is funny that he also just didn't want to be like that salesman, which, you know, in this in the second episode of the Twilight series, we do oh, have a salesman. Wow. What that is now that that is what you call a segue. That's right, people. That professionals was... yes. <laughs> yes we are a professional professional amateur podcast uh yeah so let's let's talk about this this is one for the angels from october 9th 1959 written by rod serling directed by robert Parrish. uh i've never heard of anything that he's directed he's he has directed a few of these Twilight Zone episodes, so we'll get to a couple of different ones, but he's got some different director and and actor credits, but I'm not aware of any of them, so maybe we'll stumble upon some more stuff directed by Robert Parrish. But mm-hmm. Rachel, you want to give the, uh, the the elevator synopsis of what we're going into in the Twilight Zone here with What's One for ele- the Angels? What's an elevator synopsis? Like, you know, like a 30 second, uh, what, what, what's it about? Okay. I just never really, I don't think I've ever heard it called that before. Interesting. So like I was saying. Well, uh, actually the term is elevator pitch. Oh, it's called mm. an elevator pitch. Interesting. Considering yeah. this entire episode, uh, revolves around a, uh, a pitchman. Which is pretty much just like a traveling salesman, if, if you heard of that one. Um, they try to sell you these weird odds and ends out of like their briefcase type of thing. He's a fucking peddler. Yes, they're He's a, a peddler. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, you'd tell him to get the hell away from you. Yeah, like no solicitors. Um, <laughs> but... He, he sells all of his stuff, like, out on the sidewalks and everything like that, and one day he gets talked to by the supposed Angel of Death. And it kind of revolves around his time to die, um, and actually being given a chance to, like, know when it's coming. Yeah, I, it's a story about trying to cheat death in a very one-act one stage play type of way. Yes. Let's get into it then. Um, same intro on this episode as Where Is Everybody? We're entering the fifth dimension. Or this is There is a fifth dimension, and we call it the Twilight Zone. So same idea. 
But there's opening narration on this one. It actually opens up with the first shot is a toy robot to, I guess, let you know, like, we'll get to sci-fi one day. But then there's also <laughs> a shot of this eyeball, which we didn't talk about, but it's this. it's a very, very similar shot to the first episode where he sees an like he, he there's an, like an optometrist office or something yes that the guy like backs up into and there's this big eye looking at him so he, it's again he's thinking somebody's watching him right so like i i thought it was interesting that there was like an eyeball here it's it's one of those little things where i feel oh were they doing little i don't know if even if it was called an easter egg back then but is it kind of easter eggs to tell you all these stories are somewhat connected, connected. we're floating well, through the different universes. i mean it is the twilight zone they are right. all connected Right. right. <laughs> but I do, I would like it if they did add little Easter eggs into each episode that, you know, brought them kind of together and where all of a sudden you're like, oh, I remember like that was in that episode or like, oh, that same person yeah. or that name, you know, things like that is, is right. always fun for me. So that would be kind not of that... fun if it did actually do that. Yes, I agree. Right. And, I mean, and not that they would have been, even been thinking of that in the 50s because it's not like they could have predicted vhs much less you know streaming services (laughs) so maybe they just happen to have that prop on hand but i like the idea that it's all these multiverses are being connected by these little symbols Mm -hmm. um, and all of those little symbols kind of connect the twilight zone together as rachel said there's some opening narration that tells us about lou bookman our main character He's he's selling toys on the street today or something like that. The score is a lot lighter toned mm-hmm. because it's telling us that this is a bit of a lighter episode than the previous one, which was more dreary. And it tells us about Lou Bookman, who is uh, he's a fixture of the summer. He's a peddler. He's on the street. He's he's a pitchman is what they call him. Right. And he's commonplace on the sidewalk. The the best part is I well I wrote down that it's just an old man selling shit on the street. I mean it kind That's of is. It is. <laughs> and the kids love him because he's got all these like trinkets and toys and right, he's fun. Right. But he's going to be stalked this afternoon, a hot July afternoon. So I guess appropriate that we're doing this. A hot July <laughs> afternoon. He is stalked by Mr. Death. Dun, dun, dun. And it, there's this guy in a suit. He's standing off to the side with like a little notepad. Mm-hmm. And he stares straight into the camera. Yeah, but they break the fourth wall with this one. So two things about the actors in this episode. Lou Bookman, who will be our main character, the old man peddler. So he's been in a lot of things. He's actually considered to be... He, he is a disney legend uh he has been given the the symbol or the honor of being a disney legend he was apparently beloved by walt disney he was the mad hatter in the alice in wonderland cartoon in 1951 he was in requiem for a heavyweight which is one of rod serling's emmy award-winning episodes of television and then he was in the diary of anne frank in the 50s he was in Babes in Toyland as the toy maker and in Mary Poppins as Uncle Albert. Are you oh, maybe I know Mary him from Poppins. Poppins. Yeah. That might be what it is. I kept, for so, some reason, in my head, I look at him and go, he looked just like the freaking Cowardly Lion. I should know who the Cowardly Lion is off the top of my head. I feel head. like I should too, and now it's going to bug me. Bert Lahr was the Cowardly Lion. 
but yeah, so he is in Edwin in a lot of Disney movies um, when he was an older man. And then Miss, I keep wanting to call him Doctor Death, Mister Death. <laughs> did you recognize him, Rachel? You've seen him in some, uh, a thing or two before. I don't. He he is Murray Hamilton. Yeah. And and his probably the most iconic role he has is he was the mayor in Jaws. Oh my god. <gasps> He looks so different in Jaws, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's nearly twenty years later. I, well, that's what I mean because it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, he's a lot older in Jaws. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I didn't recognize him either, but in looking up who the actors were, I was like, oh, he is the mayor in Jaws. Like you, you see it once you once you think about it, but right. you don't think about it because he just looks like nineteen fifties guy. Yeah, he really does look, look like, like just nineteen fifty guy. I mean, so does Rod but, Sterling, or Sterling, Sterling, Rod Sterling. I, yeah, Rod Sterling. Yeah, Rod Sterling does look like 1950s guy, too. Right down to the Pall Mall cigarette and the... And, and, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and all the teeth are like... Yep, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's um, great. So, what happens here is we... We get the Mr. Death is stalking him, mm-hmm. goes to a commercial, and we come back to a commercial. Lou's done for the day, and he's going up to his apartment. And all the kids in the neighborhood, they all like Lou, because like you said, he gives them, he just gives away toys. Now, he only gives away two toys. Do you think that he, like, rotates it? Because he gives one to Maggie, and he gives one to some other boy. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't give one. There's, like, eight kids there. Right. No, so I have think, a feeling like, he gives them away all the time. And so he yeah. gives, like, okay, I'm going to pick two kids this week, you know, and then he just kind of goes, okay, this one and this one, and then that that one and that one gets next week or whatever, the next couple days. Yeah, but it's got to be. It, it, it Cause, only makes cause, sense. Because they all love Because otherwise, they do. They like they like Lou. Now, you couldn't make this today because you'd be God, like, God, no, he's Lou a pedophile. To... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Instant pedophile he's, he's profile right there. <laughs> He just he would have a weird van too that he would be selling but, stuff out of. But the <laughs> Hey kids, you are a toy robot. It's in the back of my van. Horrible. You want one you want one of these little helicopters? <laughs> it's in my van. Why don't you come over there and get it? I got some candy. <laughs> But I think that this, I, this I guy, I feel like the, no, I feel like this guy is like on the up and up. Oh no, he's on the up and up. Oh, okay, and he'd be on the up and up now too. Like no, I, he, I know, I know. There's probably areas in the world where you still have the the local old man that's friendly to everybody. Knows him, yeah. they wave to no, him. No, you're right. You know, he still, you know, people. Maybe he comes and he watches the kids play baseball. I don't know. Like, there's that still has to exist somewhere. Where he's not, you know, oh, yeah. Ew, stop. Ew, ew. <laughs> Don't even start with that. Lou does no, not I know. sound like I know that, what you by mean, the way. Though. Oh, no. Lou, is, Lou to Lou me, sounds, sounds like the Cowardly Lion, but, you know. <laughs> well, he should sound like the Mad Hatter to you. He, that's, yeah. that's the Mad Hatter. No, yeah, you know, you're that. right. Yeah, that too. But, like, they both have, like, that lisp, and they kind of, like, talk like that to me, so... Yeah, it's similar. Um, I put the the kids are doing a lot of 
Hey, what are you up to, Mr. Mr. Lou? You yeah. got us some toys for us today. <laughs> we'll get to it. I actually don't think that Maggie's that bad of a, of a kid actor for no, 1959. She was fine. But the kids are doing like, oh, gee gosh, Mr. Lou. Oh, golly Thanks gee willikers. all the toys. <laughs> like, and it, it makes me wonder again, do, did people really act like that? Or was that what the culture thought everyone acted? Like, I don't know. If you were to take something from 2021... And show it to people 60 years from now, would it look like what we were really doing? Or would that, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how but exaggerated like, verbiage is. and everything does change a lot. And I think we do have very odd words nowadays that people use that I still don't even understand the definition of. Um, That's because you're old. I, I know. I know. But... <laughs> I think the same thing happened back then. They had words and stuff like, oh, golly. Like, you know, people even still say that now. It, I, and sometimes it is like, oh, they actually do say the word golly for what it means or they're making fun of it. I think that was like a term that was used back then. And I do think that, you know what? They probably did act like that. I bet they did. In in some ways. I mean, I always will point it to... It might be over-exaggerated, it's... but... We, we'll, we'll do it one day. One of my favorite 1950s B-movies, I Was a Teenage Werewolf. <gasps> oh, yeah. The point where the main character says to a cop, it just bugs me. People just bug me. And the cop goes, oh, yeah, sure. Use your jive talk. Because <laughs> he, he said it bugs him. Right. Um, but that's what I'm saying, you know. Right. You right. know, you just got to yeet it. Isn't that a thing now? You yeet things? Right. I'm older than that's you. Actually probably, that's actually probably that's actually probably an old term now because I think it's more of like Folks a. at home, I don't know if Rachel just said a, a <laughs> slur. I don't know what. <laughs> I can't even think of another word. It's the only one that came to mind. I know I can't think of any either because I don't use them that much. I don't uh, use them ever. Hello, fellow kids. Yes, Look, we just lost. We just lost the whole under twenty demographic. No, they love it. They they know. they're just making fun of us now. It's great. They're laughing. Laugh away. That's fine. You're gonna be Laugh us one away, day, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if we ever have to come out with a G-rated version of Shelf Life because we want to get more ad revenue or whatever, I'll start saying. Go- Rachel will replace all of my swearing with "golly" and "G Willikers." Oh yeah, um, and they, it'll sound wait. like Millhouse. <laughs> well, yes, <It'll... laughs> definitely. What is uh, what is the one? What is that? What does it sound like? The radioactive Jiminy man? Jilikers. Jimmy 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 Jillikers. Jimmy Jimmy Jillikers. Jimmy Jillikers. Jimmy Jillikers. Is <laughs> I can't even say it. Yeah. Yes, it's exactly what I was going for. Jimmy Jillikers. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, Lou goes up to his. <laughs> I thought hilariously later he calls it his room. He refers to it as like I've been living in this room for twenty five years. And yeah. I was like that's fun that you live in a room. <laughs> Well, it probably is just like a a studio apartment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He doesn't have like a family or anything. He's just this local pitchman. And the fifty, no, don't let don't let anybody fool you. The fifties sucked. Nobody had shit. <laughs> they they all could get free education in a house and all that kind of stuff. But you know, they they really weren't. Don't let them. Don't let them fool you. So no, I would imagine it's kind of a tough time. He's unpacking his stuff. And he notes that there's a man sitting in a chair across the way in the room. 
And I like the fact that since it is the 50s, he just asks him does, if he wants to buy something. <laughs> I mean, you're like, in my house, but that's fine. Do you want to buy something? Is that why you're here? Is that yeah, why you like, broke into my uh, apartment? It's not total shock nope. like it would be for me. It's not, holy hell, oh, God, I'm calling I the be, police. I would have left. The second I saw somebody into my apartment, I would have been like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to call the police. Lou's just like, oh, well, would you like to buy something? I'm doing more of the Mad Hatter <laughs> than what he actually sounds like. Who do you in this because like he doesn't he sounds though. pretty normal in this you sound like the character from wreck it ralph uh yeah that's what King he's Candy. that character <laughs> that character is doing a parody of oh is the oh Mad the Mad Hatter. Hatter. Yeah, yeah yeah so he's doing okay, a parody that of sense. that voice okay yeah there you go folks right pure I mean... <laughs> pure accuracy on my impression of <laughs> edwin's lou bookman's mad hatter King that Candy. I was able to, I was able to make a connection to Wreck It Ralph's King Candy. King Candy. So if we can get folks at home, if you can do like a six, uh, if you can do six, what is it? Six uh, separation that game. If you can do six degrees of six Kevin degrees. Bacon from, I will give you either King Candy <laughs> or Edwin. I, I'd rather have you do it from Edwin to Kevin Bacon. Just. Just to see what we can what we can come up with. That sounds exciting. Just, just just tweet at the. I'm sure Rachel will set up some sort of or or you know send it into the mailbag. <laughs> so anyway, he asks this guy if he wants to buy anything, and Death. I'm just going to refer to him as Death. He starts to kind of just like, no, Mr. Buckman, I actually have some you know things to run down with you. So he he starts running down Lou's life. He was, I thought, I wrote down, oh, Jesus, he was born in 1890. <laughs> and that makes, and that's okay for this timeline. That makes sense. It makes that sense. That an old man yes. was born in 1890. And I was like, good Lord. Because <laughs> I, yeah, you to have go to back, it into, it's kind of, into perspective. it's kind of weird. Yeah. And, and Edwin was actually born in 1886. So that, that still is in there. It's like, oh Jeez. my God. So he goes through kind of like his life story and the guy's Mm -hmm. kind of like, how do you do all that? And then death informs him that he is going to make his departure at midnight tonight. Well, uh, here's the the stupid thing, though. This this Mm -hmm. this death character just expects him to know what that means. Well, you have your departure at, at midnight. It's like, what are you talking about? I don't even know who you are. That I don't know why you're in glad. my apartment. Yeah. And you're saying that there's some sort of departure at midnight. Thanks. Well, he seemed, <laughs> death seems to be a little... I mean, I'm sure it's a very, it's very tiring obtuse. job. And I'm sure that he is sick of having to explain this to every person. But he is kind of... You don't think of, death uh, enjoys his job? I, I mean... I don't know. D- doesn't he seem a little like... Do you think there's just... multiple angels, though, of death? Or do you think it's just one angel of death and he answers to the hierarchy of angels? Well, if it's... If it's... <laughs> like, St. Saint- Peter... So do you think his direct supervisor is St. Peter? Or do you think he's got... Like, there is a death. <laughs> and he's just one of the deaths. Well, I'm thinking that there is a... There is a death, right? The angel of death. And then he uh-huh. has his little angel minions that he sends out to do, you know. So he, so this is just like a, this is just some like guy. No, no, no. This he's is still just like a. No, he's an angel of death. He is a angel yeah, I know. of death. Okay, he's not the guy. I don't know he's if he's. The, I don't think death. he's the death. 
So he's just another salesman too. He should have a little bit of sympathy. <laughs> well, from one salesman to the other. Yeah. So like, have a little bit of sympathy. I don't know. It could also be a Santa Claus situation where he's everywhere. At yes, the same time. right. And he's just giving you a face that you uh, feel more comfortable with. Which I could understand that Bookman, that this guy, so now he's a little put off because Bookman's, get, you know, giving him a hard time. But but to your point, like, why would anybody believe that he's death right away? Right. I mean, you didn't Unless even explain they're... it. He didn't even say who he is. He just said, okay, I know all this stuff about yeah, you and your departure is at midnight. All right, cool. Uh, where am I going? Are we going to to, uh, to the Bahamas to to Fiji or whatever? I don't He's know. Because the Zandu Nation, <laughs> or no, not Zandu, Zulu, Zandu. But before he he can question what his what that means, what his departure means, Maggie walks in and she says that one of the toys is broken. It's like a little toy robot. Mm-hmm. She's just she was just playing with it wrong, I guess. But he fixes it for her. And he's like, oh, you, this this guy over here is asking me a bunch of questions. And Maggie's like, what guy, Lou? Is this and... a game? Well, <laughs> oh, hello, sir. Game. And then she just <laughs> I thought it was fine. She's like, adorable. for what she's being asked. Like, <laughs> right. I thought it was like, all right. Oh, are we playing a game? <laughs> yeah, because it's like, oh, oh, Lou. It's just, just so you. <laughs> Which I guess there's also a standing like, after dinner, he like, lets them play with his unsold merchandise right. or something. Yeah, is that kind of what you gathered from that too? Because he was like, "I'll see you all after dinner." Yeah, it sounded like they get to like play with all the toys after, after food. Maybe that's why he gave them. Here's just a couple that you guys get to play with, but then you get the rest of them after dinner. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. I don't know, but yeah, it seems like he he's planning to go back out there. Or, or back outside or like give the kids something else to do or he just he he clearly cares for the children that i guess live in the neighborhood or live in the same building right as he does so maggie leaves and death is basically like she can't see me mr bookman the only people that can see me are the people that are coming with me right or or that i'm here to take with right. me it's at this point and i am about to say something that you may this may cause you to see observe too much into the episode. It's one of those things like where once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Um, okay. So I'm about to say it. So skip ahead like a minute and a half if you don't want to hear this part. And then, and then I, when I looked it up, I realized why I was seeing it. And, and I'll say that too. Edwin, as Lou Bookman, is shaking a lot. Did you notice that? I thought he was just nervous. So I wondered that too. I was like, have... oh, is this like a, is this a character, character trait, like a character choice, mm-hmm. an actor's choice? Um, because it would make sense. Like, but he's, you know, shaking an awful lot. So I, I found that uh, Brad Serling actually went to an Edwin Memorial from the Parkinson's, American Oh Parkinson. my God, really? So I think he, I, I couldn't, it wasn't in Edwin's wiki but because I was able to find they did something at like a Parkinson's research in his yeah. honor after he died in 1966 that I think he has Parkinson's. Well, that would make sense. But like the way he moves around and the still... way he was using it for the character, I yeah. thought it was just a part of the character as well. Which makes you kind of root for him more. Yes. <laughs> like knowing it. Because <laughs> even, if, even if, if you want to make it so that the character had that or the real life man had it, one, he's acting his ass off. And he would be acting his ass off until he died with Parkinson's in the 60s when there probably wasn't as much 
knowledge about right. how to treat that condition. There's not a lot of knowledge as we record this about how to treat that condition. Mm -hmm. Once I noticed, I was like, is he doing that on purpose? Because obviously now, because we can see it in Blu-ray quality, you, you pick up on that little thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, an interesting little note, but I did find that out about him. So keep that in your back pocket if you go back and watch the episode. So he's trying to go back and after Maggie leaves as to like, what what's going on here? And death has moved his place. He's now sitting in a new place in the room. And that's when he tells him that only those that accompany him can see him. And then that's when it clicks for Lou. Because he's like, well, if Maggie didn't see you, then the only, like he realizes he's supposed to die. Mm -hmm. And he gets a little peeved, as you would when you find out that you're supposed to die. And he basically <laughs> starts arguing with him. And I love, and I want to call someone this one day. I want to call someone a devious sort. A because devious sort. he's like, now listen, you, I find you to be a devious sort. <laughs> and you're dishonest. <laughs> it's such a, like a quaint way of telling someone to go fuck off. Pretty much. Yeah, it really is. But death proves to him that he is death. He he kind of death gets a little annoyed. He's like, I can't believe I have to like do this every time. Like this is stupid. So well, then maybe a... talk to them well the first time you come in. Jeez, your departure's um, at midnight. I I can't get over that. It's like okay, he is a busy angel, Rachel. <laughs> he has shit to do. Yeah, we'll explain it better than the first time around. <laughs> He might have been going into the pitch. Oh, death that's true. A, Maybe he was starting his pitch. Yeah. Yeah, he was starting his pitch. And frickin' Maggie interrupted him with that's a stupid true. little robot. That's why he picked her. Don't call her stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie's cute. So death touches a flower and the flower wilts to prove that he is death. Great special effect on this flower. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's clearly a stage hand behind the thing moving the flower forward. <laughs> I thought it was really fun. They probably had it on a string. Oh, yeah, that's probably what it was. It was on a string. <laughs> so Lou fights back. He's like, I'm healthy. I don't want to go. And I'm healthy. Uh, so he's like, there's no reason for me to go. Mm -hmm. And and Death doesn't care. Death's like, you're on my list. You're going. That's the way this works. There is no bargaining here. Right. But he does tell him that there are conditions for appeal, which I wonder if this applies to real life too. We'll never know until we're about to die, which probably means that it would, you know, get, you know, folks at home, if you're able to write us into the mailbag and you're like, oh, by the way, you can make an appeal. I <laughs> like, would. <laughs> I got an appeal. Basically, the appeal is you, ha your family would uh, like struggle if you were to be gone. And he's like, oh, I don't have a family. And then you have to be on the verge of discovery of something. So it's like if, if you're a scientist or an inventor or something mm -hmm. and you're on the verge of something that's going to be like monumental or change the world. But he just fiddles around with all of his toys and crap. So that's that doesn't count either. Right. And then the third one is unfinished business of a major nature. And I'm thinking here, like Lou, Lou starts trying to come up with like crap. And I'm thinking like, dude, just go big maybe he'll take it right you've got to think of something you're a salesman you can think of something good right you bs all the time <laughs> he comes up with a pretty bad one where he now i think he's thinking it's good 
because he's like, I'm never going to leave the country. I want, I need to go see a Zulu war dance. <laughs> so I need to get over to that Zulu country. And I'm assuming he's talking about somewhere like in he Africa. He really wants to travel. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so he's like, you know, you're going to have to give me a few years to get over there. But that's like, no, come on, man. That's stupid. So that's what, that's what Lou thinks he can come up with. Lou does eventually, though, like, because he's trying to come up with another one. He tells him the truth. And he, t- well, he sort of tells him the truth, I think. We'll talk about no, this. No, I bet, I bet he does tell the truth here, but go on. So he tells him that he wants to make a big pitch. A one for the angels. And I was thinking, oh my god, is this going to break into, like, one of those MST3K shorts about selling bread like like it just felt one of those where it's it's gonna break into like this oh you see i'm gonna make lou bookman the best chicken salesman in the country that's what it felt like it could it could turn into but he tells him that he wants to make a big big pitch for the angels right that that's what he wants and death is kind of like that's not good enough lou gets a little disappointed and death's like all right does it really mean that much to you and and he says yes, and Death decides to give him the extension. He kind of sells Death here a little mm-hmm. bit. Well, there is one thing. What is it, Mr. Bookman? Well, between you and me, I, I never made a truly big pitch. I mean, I mean a a big pitch, a pitch big enough to for the skies to open up. You know, a a, a pitch for the angels. Of course, that wouldn't mean very much to you, but it would mean a great deal to me. It would mean that for one moment in my whole life, I would have done something successful. It would mean that maybe, that maybe the children would be very proud of me. The children? Yes, yes. I've always had quite a fondness for children, you know. Yes, that's, that's all here in the record. Problem here, Mr. Bookman, is that you'd require a delay until... Uh... Until I make a pitch. You know, the kind of pitch I was talking to you about there. One for the angels, you mean. That's right. One for the angels. Now, I don't think he really wants to make a big pitch. I think what he really wants is to make the children proud of him. And he says that when when he's telling him he wants to make a big pitch. He's like, something the children will be proud of. Right. And I think and that's I think all he that can... is the truthful part of it. And I think he yeah. sees the children as his angels. Oh. Oh. Yeah, let's get a little corny <laughs> here, but yeah. This but is a very right. corny episode. I think I think is. you are right that it, he isn't it isn't one for like the angels in the sky. It's more like his children that he gets to be around and make happy. He wants to do it well, for them. Is that what you're saying? I Yeah, well I I think it I think he wants I think all he can think of, because he's a very simple man, all he is is a pitchman, is all he can think of is leaving a lasting mark so that the children would be proud of him. Mm-hmm. And that's and remember making him. a big sale or like doing something that they'd remember him by. That's kind of all he wants. And so I think, yeah, I think that you're taking the metaphor. I mean, we don't know. That could be the metaphor Rod Serling's going for or the parable or whatever. I think it probably is. It's a mess. I think that is the message. At the end of the day, I was thinking then is death setting him up? Mm -hmm. Does death kind of put all this in motion 
so that spoiler alert at the end of this he he sacrifices himself and in that way the children are proud of him because he sacrifices himself for them well no i i i had that thought too i kind of was like wait is he letting him do this? And we'll see what happens later. Yeah. But I'm wondering if it's a very faded type of thing. Like, no, this was going to happen. This is the way it was supposed to happen. You know, mm. like, this is the way I was going to take you with me is mm. is together. Mm. And and the, and when we get to the end, too, like, there's a couple of scenes where I think Def is playing it up. So, so we'll talk about that in a second. Because what happens is Death gives him an extension and... He's like, great, well, it'll be a few years before I make this pitch, you know, uh, you know, we'll come back in a few years, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do some more selling. And he basically shoves Death out the door and Death's like, Mr. Bookman, are you, uh, are you tricking me? Are you trying to trick me? And he's like, well, goodbye, and slams the door in his face. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm never gonna sell something ever again. Yeah, I'm never selling anything, and I was <laughs> tricking you, you bastard! <laughs> <laughs> Because Death realizes he's being taken advantage of. Or at least right. he says he's being taken advantage of. But again, yes. if you read it my way, he's kind of playing along. Right. And of course, Death comes right back into the room because he's Death. He's like, mm -hmm. you know, Mr. Bookman, stop this. Well, it kind, um, of, it kind of would make sense that if he's going to really reveal himself like this and say, you're dying at this time, it's kind of like you get one final wish. It feels that way because yeah. it's like, why yeah. else it would you reveal point. yourself? Why else would you, you know, give me my time limit? Like, okay, well, now I know I'm going to die at midnight. What am I supposed to do till then? You know, <laughs> like, something, okay. Something real. Get that final meal ready. Like, like are we just, are we just recording a podcast? Okay, I guess we're recording a podcast and then I'll just drop yeah, dead at the yeah. end of it. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think we. I don't know if I would be recording a podcast. But I, to your point, I don't know what I would do if you're only given till midnight. But folks at home, let us know what you would do. Um, so, <laughs> if you were put in Lou Bookman's position, so he gets spooked because Death is back in the room. So he runs out the room. And Death is basically telling him, Mr. Bookman, you have made things complex now. You've kind of, you've complicated stuff because now you, you wanted your appeal. I gave right. you your appeal and now you're, you're tricking me or you're trying to take advantage of that. Like right. now this is going to get complicated. And he's basically pissed off. He pissed off Death, which is something you probably should not do. No, that makes sense. And Death in this is a Don Draper type character. Yes, he's got he the is. slick back hair. He's eventually the mayor from Jaws, Which, who is again, a seedy character. Don Draper, madman, salesman. <laughs> yes, it's all about sales. That's all about sales. marketing and selling. So yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, it all connects now. And salesmen are the work of the devil. Like <laughs> I don't Oh my god. <laughs> he tells him he's a good guy though. Yeah, he tells him. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. We're going upstairs. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually we're taking the elevator down. Like what? <laughs> but he tells him that because he won't come, he's gonna need an alternative. He needs to find someone else to take his place, basically. And as he's telling him that he needs an alternative, you hear a sound effect of a car crash. Yep. And what we find out is that a car has hit Maggie. Yep. 
so Lou runs out and he's he's like, Maggie, what happened? What happened? So there's like a crowd gathered around. And this schmuck that hit her with the car was like, oh, mister, you got to believe me. I swear I couldn't stop. She jumped right out into the street. I swear. It, it was like, all right, asshole. Yeah, like, really. You're going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> shut the hell up. Get out of although, here. Although, again, you know, when Lorraine's <laughs> dad hits marty with the car oh my god so maybe kids were just again (laughs) (laughs) so maybe in the 50s people were just getting hit with cars all the time this is where they make get taught you to look both ways when you cross the street because i bet kids were just running in the streets cut like willy-nilly willy-nilly yes willy-nilly and golly gee (laughs) she gets it with the car but i don't know i want to know what happened to this guy because if oh no if this guy like did this guy get set up this yeah, now he's schmuck. gonna feel guilty for the rest of his life go to jail now because he's he hit a little girl with his car well Maybe. there's one of two things there's one of two things one is she wasn't re- he could have stopped and he was uh the equivalent of texting in the 50s so i don't know <laughs> if he was reading the newspaper while he was driving or Two, he really couldn't stop, and she was kind of pushed into oh, the street by death. Yes, the push of death. <laughs> Either way, this guy's getting the chair. He hit some little white girl with a car. <laughs> little blonde-headed white girl, yeah. Now he, maybe he has money, but by his vernacular, this is just some Joe Schmo. No, he schmuck. could have been a taxi driver. We don't know. I yeah, I think he's a taxi driver. He's losing his license. <laughs> He's becoming he's becoming destitute. This man's losing his losing losing everything yep. to teach Lou Bookman a valuable lesson. Or that man might have maybe that was his his destiny anyways. He was supposed to. Mate, well, I guess that's possible. <laughs> kind of sucks for that guy though. <laughs> it was going to happen either way. <laughs> maybe maybe a different angel is going to come to that guy. Oh yeah. And like then his life is going to become repa- it's a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's very cyclical. final destination. <laughs> it's all very final destination. If if it's not I mean, like, in final you... destination they do get really fancy. So I mean, this is kind of fancy in the way of getting getting his kill (laughs) getting his kill if i kind of want someone to recut final destination with marie hamilton as mr death standing in the background like (laughs) leaning against the wall like as all the deaths happen and he's just like jotting notes down in a notebook like all right got took care of that (laughs) oh yeah that that one was pretty elaborate let's do it this way Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we could climb out. We the... could have the fire start, and then the knives fall and just stab her right in the stomach. <laughs> I've never done a roller coaster demise. Oh, that could be really interesting. Try that one. It's fun. That is a, a lot of nail fun. gun. You know, always use one of those. <laughs> those are on the list, right? Yes. Because those that those deaths are hilariously mm-hmm. elaborate. Um, yeah, I would. I, I would wonder put what Rod Serling would. Don't you kind of wonder what Rod Sterling would have thought of Final Destination? He would have thought it was shit. I don't. Do I don't think? think that man really liked anything. It sounds like he's just a bit of a cynic. So I bet he wasn't. He's definitely. A I don't cynic. think he was. He would be into it. Well, since you or say that, maybe since they are in up, the Twilight Zone. They're kind of Twilight Zone. It Zone-y is very Twilight Zone. Yeah. And two, 
kind of of the times. I, I will tell you, Rachel, uh, I sent you the link, I, and I will I'll recommend it to everyone to go listen to his interview with Mike Wallace about why he's making The Twilight Zone. Because part of it is another writer said, I think toward Serling, about making The Twilight Zone because he wanted to do science fiction and fantasy. And I know we're going off on a tangent, but we can talk about it here. He wanted to make The Twilight Zone. And, and this author said, you can't be artistic while also trying to be commercial. Now, in 2021, there's a lot of backlash about commercialism, about, oh, I don't know, superheroes. <laughs> so, and about how maybe they're not the best form of art, and some of them aren't, and some of them can be. And, and his response is still relevant today, where it's like, you can be artistic and be commercial. So, I don't know. Maybe he would be like, well, these are dumb. Like, it's not art. It's not really telling you anything, but it's fun. Like, I don't know. Like, it's he is a cynic, though. He's definitely a cynic. But I, so. but I do think that, you know, he also likes the Twilight me Zone messages. And I, you know, the right. Final Destination doesn't the, really yeah, have Final a message. Final Destination has no message. It doesn't have a message. There's no message in that. <laughs> it's, it's the grand design. But, I believe is what they but always I still, say. I still want I still want Murray Hamilton standing in the background oh, yeah, that'd be of amazing. those scenes. Absolutely. Um shaking his head in, in displeasure at them getting off the plane. Or like, getting away with it. Like, okay, well, have to put overtime. And he just in. like flips a page and starts writing more notes. <laughs> like, great. Now I have to write all their names down. <laughs> I had them all in one bunch. It wasn't a big deal. My boss isn't gonna like this. <laughs> The one thing that Lou does when he's on the street is he lifts, he put, he takes his jacket off mm -hmm. and he puts like a pillow behind Maggie's head. And I was thinking, maybe don't touch her. Yeah, don't touch her. Maybe don't lift her I head. mean, nowadays you wouldn't do that. Absolutely not. Don't do that. Because you're gonna... Probably has whiplash. Might... Neck might be broken. Don't touch yeah, her. Yeah, she's... <laughs> so in a way, maybe Lou killed Maggie. I'm just saying. <laughs> But what we learn is because Maggie kind of like comes. Oh, and then to, by the way, that's like, just Lou. the end of the show, and you know that death that, takes the girl, the end the, and yeah. um, that's the death end. takes the girl. Lou learns a very valuable lesson about not trying to trick death. <laughs> end of the episode. Scene. No, no. <laughs> of course not. End scene. No, no, no. It's not that cynical. That's nihilistic. Um, <laughs> it's depressing. But Maggie kind of goes like, "Who's that, Lou?" And he's like, who? And, and he, she points to death mm -hmm. and he's like, she's like that guy. So now Lou realizes that because she can see him, that she's been the one to take his place. Right. She is now on his list. <clears throat> Not our list. His list. So he walks back up to death. <laughs> I got it. I'm sorry. It took me, that took me a second. I'm sorry. The Everyone laughed that's listening. I just, it took me a sec because I was like, not our list. Oh, our list. Add Maggie to the list. <laughs> just Maggie. Maggie episode two, The Twilight Zone, 1959. <laughs> Did Maggie ever become something? I, never I, I was to about to look, actually. <laughs> Donna Dillaway. That was her name. It looks like everything stopped in 1978. She's got 16 credits. She was in Leave it to Beaver. So, oh, there you go. A little here and there. Yeah. Pretty My Three Sons. Yeah, so some TV stuff. Right. 
So Lou walks back up to death and he's like, look, forget the deal. I'm ready. I'll go. And, and which is a total, you know, when, when, once he kind of realizes the ramifications of his actions, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, fine. I'm, if it needs to be somebody, it's, it's going to be me. Don't take her. Right. I mean, if death um, would have explained you... that, you know, and then he would have just known, but whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But he's got to learn a lesson. I know, I know. And, and it shows you how noble he is. Right. Too. You want to root, you root for this guy, You right? do, yes. But death tells him it's too late. He's already kind of put the order in. Like, like he's kind of like changed the, you know, the, the purchase order here. So now they're getting Maggie instead. What we learn is... He says, I'm still scheduled to leave with her at midnight tonight. Mm -hmm. He's waiting and the doctor comes out and says like, ah, it's kind of too soon to tell. So he decides to not let death come get Maggie. Bookman does. Right. Like he's like, I'm not going to let her, let him get in there. Right. He he has made this giant decision. (laughs) It's at this point where I wrote in my notes, I'm interested to know if you can find the stages of grief in this episode. I don't know when those stages of grief were made, mm. but like you see him deny, you see him bargain, you see him get anger, right. sadness, you see him ac- accept it. He goes through those he stages. Through I don't know if he goes stage. through them. I think he does. The order. Oh, I'm curious yeah. so, like, now. I don't know if that was purposeful, but it is interesting that he he kind of does that because mm-hmm. he he tries to bargain with him. Right. Like all the stuff is there. Yes, which makes it a little more alliterative clearly there's a lot of that in the twilight zone where you can read it not just surface level like there's an iceberg when it comes to a lot of these episodes yes. even the ones like this that are more cutesy and corny yeah like a like a, just a little tale just a, like a little tale to read yeah yeah this could easily be like a little short mm-hmm. story so his big plan what what are the stages of grief just oh, in case on. we missed one there deny it's denial so the five stages of grief if it starts with denial Mm-hmm. Which he does. Then anger. Which he does. Then bargaining. Which he does. Then depression. Which he does. Yeah. He kind of does. does, yeah. Because I'm thinking, th- like, think about it. He's like already upset about his life, and now he's gonna have to give it up for her because now he's depressed about yeah. her dying. So I think yeah. depression is a part of it, and then finally acceptance. Yeah. So he kind of does that throughout the episode, which I I think is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't even like catch that right away. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Well, cause, I mean it's it is easy, like I said, to do these kind of things with these these episodes of the Twilight Zone. But again, the the theme of death and that kind of stuff, because of Rod Serling's experience in the war and everything, it kind of comes up a lot. And it is interesting to find these little things. That's that's why we're here. That's why we're telling you these stories. That's our point. Right. We're we're storytelling in our way and kind of trying to give you a little bit more to look at when you're looking at these right good bad or otherwise (laughs) so bookman's big plan is to set up a peddling station a pitch and he's gonna delay death by selling him stuff i'm gonna sell everything to death which is a crazy plan it's extremely corny oh yeah so death comes back and he's like sitting on the stoop because he's like oh yeah i gotta get in there by midnight and he's like you're setting up a pitch right now like it's the middle of the night right and bookman's like oh yeah i I sell some stuff and he's selling ties he's got like a bunch of ties Mm -hmm. men's ties this is where i think that death is in on it again because there's a there's a couple of little shots where death has like kind of a smile on his face as he watches 
Lou go into his pitch. Right. Starts, like, selling stuff. And you see him, like, get kind of a smile on his face. Which could just be, like, a, hmm, I'm just waiting. But I think it's really, like, he's letting the old man get do his one right. last act. This is, there it is. Here it comes. Yeah. And, um, and that's where that's why I agreed with you that I'm like, I think he's in on it. I think it was all yeah. fated to happen. Well, and the other thing about it is why is does so <laughs> he starts trying to sell death a shirt tie. Right. And he's like, feel it. And he's trying to sell him little silk like oh, uh, it's, threads. And it's from across the seas and all of these like sent by oriental birds. <laughs> Bring it in one by one. <laughs> and I don't know what an oriental bird is. I guess it's a bird from the Asia Pacific. It used to be colloquially called the Orient. And hey, you look up oriental birds; they're really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but. Death is like, I'll take everything you got. I'll buy one. Okay, I'll take four. He keeps buying stuff from him. And it's like, why would Death want any yeah, of Death's this? Yeah, Death's like sweating <laughs> and like getting crazy. And he's sweating. His <laughs> hair is out of place. He's all disheveled right. because he's just listening to Bookman give this. And he's pitch. getting it's, all excited by it. It's kind of crazy. I'll take everything you have. <laughs> and then he has one um, final I'm thing to sell, though. The, the one last thing he has. To well, say. I was just saying that, uh, so he says, I'll take everything you've got. And then he goes, oh, I have, but I have one final thing to sell. And it's like, he goes into this whole pitch about a manservant. This, I thought this was, this I part's kind of dumb. Oh, really? You thought it was sweet? Different opinions. Well, here, so, okay. There, there's two, two routes I went with this. It's a little stupid. And I feel like this is where death would have known he was up to something. That's why I think it's kind of dumb because I'm like, okay, come on. Death doesn't under, like see that he's up to something. He's that he's selling himself. But here's my other thought. This was also his way of bargaining that he ha- like he could literally just be dead but also be with death so he could still be among the living. That he would actually become the manservant, oh, be like helpful to death and still get to kind of do his thing in a lo- living sort of way. I took it more as, because he says he eats little, he needs little, he rests only occasionally. I thought he was saying, like, I thought he was literally, I guess not literally, but I thought he was selling it, take me and I will, not only will will you be able to take me to the afterlife, but I'll assist you. Well, that's what I'm saying, yes. and, And so instead of just taking Maggie, take me and I won't even go to heaven. I'll just follow with exactly. You I'll so I'll that, help you, like, and I'll be a part like a yeah. part of your team. It's corny, yeah, it's definitely. But I thought it was kind of like his like a sweet little like don't take her, take me. Like, yeah, I it, it, better... it that is it is like a cute way of saying like yes, take me instead. I just it it felt so obvious then to me that it was like okay, come on, death, like <laughs> open your eyes here. This one's kind of obvious, you know. The other ones, I could still see right. him getting, like, excited well, about, like, his way of pitching because sometimes you get drawn into stuff that people say, right? So I could see that yeah. happening, but then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you flipped it into something weird. Well, he doesn't get into the full take me with you true. as your manservant before the bell, before the midnight Right, that's true. And Death kind of is like, wait, I missed my, my appointment. Right. So maybe he would have figured out i don't know but 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 again like if death was in on it then he was kind of letting him give that spiel right but the bell tolls and the little girl is going to live because he misses an appo- his appointment which death acts like that's never happened 
and it's gonna unravel the space-time continuum. Right. Which it, I the guess grand he's design. Have to find the of this girl. Yeah, yeah. There's a grand design. Yeah, I think he might say that. I can't remember if he does or not. I don't remember. Um, I just know that from Final Destination. <laughs> right. It's a, it's, it's Final That's Destination. the whole point. Is the grand design. The little girl's name Maggie Polanski is the little girl's name. We find out. I don't know how common of a name Polanski was, or if like Roman Polanski was known in 1959. I don't know. Bookman is happy. And I think Death is pretending to be frustrated. But basically, Bookman is kind of willingly now kind of says, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to make the agree- arrange agreement because he made a pitch for the angels. Right. Even says, well, like, made one for the angels. And it was for an angel. He did a pitch to an angel. The angel of death. <laughs> <laughs> so he literally did yeah, a yeah, pitch yeah, for, you, yeah, for yeah, an yeah, angel. Yeah. So literally for an angel. Yes. And he, and he recognizes that it's time for him now. And he takes the pitch box with him because mm-hmm. he's like, you never know, someone might need something. Right. Uh, and Death kind of like, like laughs at that, doesn't he? Like just like shakes his yeah. head. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going up there, right? Like, I'm not going to hell. Like if I'm going to hell, let's talk about it some more. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and he's like, no, you made it. I did like, I do like the way that Death phrases is like, yeah, you made it. Like, yeah, it was good. Right. Um, well, like, he even, like, Bookman... at the beginning, though, he even says, like, well, hey, I mean, I get to tell you about this. Is it one that it just sneaks up on you? I think for the fan people, they don't tell him. You know, it's just like, no, you, oh, you just die. You're dead. I'm taking you. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't going to tell Maggie. He was just going to take her. True, but maybe innocence of a child. I don't know. Yeah. That's true. At the innocence of a child. Fucking child. <laughs> And the two of them walk off, Death and Lou. As friends. Walk off as friends. As peers, like at the end of the Deathly Hallows. That's what I was thinking. Uh, yes, the three brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and he greets Death like an old friend. <laughs> and they and they left like equals. <laughs> See, everything takes from the Twilight Zone. I feel like it does. Even though this is clearly like an old you know uh, uh, yeah it's a pair of parable of she trying to cheat death told by rod serling and in a different setting it you know it i do like that we can point out in modern times where we still tell like to tell these stories Mm -hmm. the closing narration is is mirroring the beginning narration and and it talks about you know he's a man beloved by the children and therefore it ends with this line which is but throughout his life a man beloved by the children and therefore, a most important man. It ends with like how he was ending all the episodes where it was like, couldn't happen, you say? Probably not in most places, but it did in the Twilight Zone. Um, <laughs> and that's how the episode ends. So I think I made, did I make you go first on where is that? Where yes. is everybody? Should I go first on go this ahead. one? Okay. So does, does it have shelf life as an individual episode? I will say this. I think it's a sweet little episode. It's a fun little episode for a younger audience mm-hmm. that wants to get into the Twilight Zone. And I think that the acting is very yes. good. I think I think it moves. It really doesn't, again, like the pacing is not bad. But I will say, I don't think this one makes the shelf. This is not one of your classics. I think some people like it when, if they, if they see it as a kid, I think that it sticks with them. Yeah. But uh, for me, I will say this is not going on the twilight zone shelf of episodes as an individual episode right i 
So I, I would say, yeah, it's not like on the top shelf. I would say that it's like a watch it. I would say watch it. I think it's a, it's a nice episode to see and it has like a nice tone and pace and everything. So it actually works really well. But yeah, I don't think I would put it like on the top shelf. No, I, I would say, uh, you know, it's there. Watch it. That's about it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Is it on any? It, it could it could be like you know bottom shelf or like in the closet or whatever. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you putting this in the box with uh, small soldiers? Maybe. Like, you can own it. Just put it in the box. You know, it's not on the it goes with all the other Twilight Zone episodes that end up in the box. <laughs> yeah, it's your box labeled Twilight Zone. But you should watch it first before you put uh, it yeah, in I agree. that box. You can watch this because I I like the story behind it. I do like the story. So that was One for the Angels. Coming up after the break, I'll just read you the narration that Rod Serling said at the, and back in 1959. We invite you to take a walk down a western frontier street at the elbow of a doomed gunman whose salvation lies in nothing less than a magic potion and a Colt 45. Mr. Dan Durea stars in Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Next time on The Twilight Zone. We'll be right back. <laughs> 